0: You're listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with your host, Small Dojo Big Profits author, Mike Massey. Remember to go to MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com slash podcasts for show notes, transcripts, links to martial arts business resources, and more. Now here's your host, Mike Massey.
1: Hey, everyone. Mike Massey here coming back at you with another edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast from sunny Austin, Texas. And it, in fact, does look like it's going to be a beautiful day today here in Austin. I think it's going to be about 70 degrees, partially cloudy, which means partially sunny to me. So uh, might be a good opportunity to get out and uh, check out some of the local parks today if I get a chance. But let me tell you what we have on the podcast for you today. So today I'm going to be talking about uh, actually sharing some of my personal experiences. And uh, the subject of the main uh, discussion in today's podcast or the main message is going to be how to not treat a new student with previous martial arts experience. And uh, these stories I'm going to share with you are actually based on my own personal experiences visiting different martial arts studios uh, here in the Austin area and in other areas that I've lived. So um, the stories are kind of humorous, and uh, I think they bear sharing simply because um, <clears throat> having been you know, a, a martial artist since I was a, a young teenager, probably about 12, 13 years old, I guess, um, which makes me feel really old right now thinking about how long I've been involved in the martial arts, um, I can say that I have had some very uh, peculiar experiences going from dojo to dojo. I tended to move around a lot. Had two households when I was a kid, so kind of got shuttled back and forth between my mom's and my dad's house when I was a teenager uh, during those years when I was first starting martial arts. So they gave me the opportunity to see martial arts schools from a couple of different perspectives and to train in different martial arts over the, the course of my formative years in the martial arts, what I would call my formative years. So it gave me the sort of perspective that was a little bit uh, uh, less biased toward one particular style or or instructor organization and made me a lot more open-minded. And because of the fact that I moved around quite a bit while I was training martial arts, uh, it also gave me some perspective on how martial arts instructors tend to treat students because I was exposed to instructors who treated their students uh, very poorly and instructors that treated their students very well, that uh, were very kind to their students and treated them as human beings and not as subjects or objects of possession. So (laughs) hopefully the stories that I share with you today will help you learn to, I guess you could say, interact with your students, especially those students who come in who have previous martial arts experience, hopefully in a more productive manner and allow you to develop better rapport with your students so you can retain your students, you know, longer, keep students around longer, keep them around for the long term. Because you know really that's what we want as martial arts school owners, we want to keep students for long term. Obviously sometimes we get the odd student that we just don't want to stick around at all. We hope they just come in and take a couple of classes and decide to quit because they're such a pain in the rear. But for the most part, most people we want to keep those students around. So that's what the main discussion is going to be about. Okay, so let me tell you about what I have going on myself in uh, my own personal martial arts adventures right now. Um, I, we moved to a new town, as you guys know. I've been talking about that for a while and going through the moving stuff. We're settled into the house. And, and what's interesting is we moved away from an area that had a higher crime rate. Uh, Austin, although we have very low violent crime rates, we have a very high rate of property crime. And, you know, you can attribute that to a lot of different reasons. Personally, I think it has to do with the fact that we don't have any ordinances against loitering and, and vagrancy and things like that. So we have a very high uh, homeless population in Austin. And there are a lot of charities that take care of those people. Um, I'm very familiar with the homeless population here because of certain, you know, things that I've done on my own time in uh, getting to know uh, different aspects of the population and so forth. But, uh, you know, the thing is is that uh, we have high property crime rates for one reason or another, whether it's high drug use in Austin or whatever. Um, a lot of houses, a lot of cars, um, a lot of private property gets uh, stolen, gets burglarized and whatnot. So we moved away from an area that was <laughs> an area of really high crime to an area that's a little bit more affluent, has a much lower crime rate, uh, much safer, better schools and so forth. And lo and behold, <laughs> just a couple of weeks after we move in, there was a home invasion and home invasion and multiple burglaries just a couple of doors down from our house. Well, as you guys know, um, back in February I went through the Level One Krav Maga certification with the USKMA and uh, had a really good time training with Mark Slane and and got a lot of good training and and had intended because of that or you know due to that I actually had plans all along, but that's the reason why I did the se- the seminar. But I had intended to start teaching Krav Maga classes when I moved. And potentially maybe start another studio. I, I still don't know if I'm sure I'm going to do that. I don't know if I have time with all the irons I have in the fire right now. But at any rate, I hadn't intended to start anything very quickly. I decided that you know I was going to wait a couple of months, kind of get settled in and so forth. But because of the uh, that short little crime spree that we had here in the neighborhood, in the area, um, I decided that I would start putting out some feelers to see you know, what the local response would be to a Krav Maga class, a self-defense class, and so forth. And, and, of course, got a really tremendous response. So I've been actually um, putting out feelers both on nextdoor.com, which is a website that you have to be really careful with because it's uh, it's for neighborhoods and communities, and you really can't, do very much advertising on there. You can't really promote yourself very much. Um, As a matter of fact, I I had a conversation with a young lady that lives in another neighborhood near here. She was commenting on one of my threads about crime and safety, and she happened to comment from or respond from her email address, and it happened to have her signature file in there, and she's a musician. And she has a signature um, link that promotes her her own music website. And, you know, people got really bent out of shape because they said it wasn't for personal promotion or business promotion. But on the other hand, what I thought is if you're offering something that is of value and that is of interest to people on nextdoor.com, that they respond very well. So I've been putting out feelers there, and I've also been working with some Facebook marketing, doing some uh, you know some informative posts that I've boosted through their ad interface, and it's worked really well. I've gotten a really good response so far. I'm not really actively working on per- on converting, I should say, converting uh, that traffic or those responses to leads. I'm just basically trying to get my name out there because we don't even have a place to teach in yet, I have offers from several locations out here in the area. So my message to you in telling you this is that, you know, here I am, I'm in a new town and I'm starting from scratch. I don't know anybody. I don't have a platform out here to market myself from. I don't have an established website. I don't even have a location, but I'm already getting people who are interested in my classes. And the reason why is because, as I'm going to tell you in the tip of the week this week, because I'm offering something of value and something that's needed, a needed service to the local community. So we're going to talk about that more in the tip of the week. So stay tuned for that, because I think you're going to get a lot out of that uh, that portion of the broadcast today. All right, so let's go on to the main subject or the main topic of today's podcast, which is how not to treat a new martial arts student with previous experience. Now, of course, this podcast, if you even follow my blog, you know that this was actually a, a blog post that I, I uh, wrote some time ago, and as you know, I'm trying to convert a lot of that content on the blog to podcast because I know a lot of people today, many people uh, prefer to consume content via podcast and, and uh, so forth versus reading blogs. You know, it's just easier. It's more convenient. So that's what I'm doing here today. So let's, uh, let's get into this. So here is Exhibit A and how to not treat a new student. This is one of my personal stories. So back when I first arrived in Austin, which was some time ago, it was over 20 years ago, I was looking for a place to continue my own training, and I was also looking for a place to teach my own classes. So at the time, I'd been training mostly in Korean martial arts, and I wanted to continue doing Taekwondo and also learn more Hapkido. So, I went in search of a school that taught those arts. As it turns out, I did find a school that offered exactly what I was looking for, and it really wasn't too far for me. Now, the ads for the studio showed this guy in a, uh, you know, what I would call a suitably martial pose, holding a staff and doing some sort of Billy Jack style kick all at once. And to my young, impressionable mind, I thought, cool this guy has seen the billy jack movies <laughs> so i drove out to visit the school now when i entered i found an attractive if kind of granola girlish young lady behind the counter who was apparently restocking the retail area and i said hi and uh, she you know looked at me with a look that said she might actually be high and so so she said how can i help you And uh, then she gave me a look that said she probably didn't really want to help me at all. So I told her, I said, I just stopped in to check out the school, and I was wondering if the head instructor was around. And she looked at me kind of funny and said, oh, well, he doesn't normally speak with new students. And what was interesting was is that you could tell by the way she was communicating with me that she had some kind of a, I don't know, cultish infatuation, I guess, with the head instructor. It, It was a signal I should have picked up on, but I didn't at the time. But then she continued, and she said, but, you know, I can show you around if you like and answer all your questions. So I asked Gabby's question, do you work here? And she said, well, sort of. We all volunteer to help out in the dojo. Okay, now that was alarm, you know, uh, bell number two that should have been going off in my head that wasn't. So, But anyway, I was starting to kind of get the picture, you know, kind of the subtle but unmistakable Manson family vibe, if you will. But, you know, I kind of dismissed it because I was visiting a martial arts school and, you know, there's no telling what sort of weirdness you might run into in the quest for martial knowledge. Even as a young man, I had figured that out and I'd seen every episode of Kung Fu on TV (laughs) and had been doing traditional Korean martial arts for years. So I knew that there was bound to be some strangeness going on. So I follow the flower girl around the school. And I'm asking questions about classes, the styles they teach, and the master instructor. And, uh, you know, it turns out he was once a direct disciple of some Korean master. But later, the guy broke off and started his own thing. So the girl turns to me and smiles. And she says, oh, by the way, we'll be closed next week for our annual remodeling. All the students are required to help out. So if you enroll today, you can come by next week and help paint. Now, (laughs) I did my best to avoid looking at this lady, at this chick, like she was already high in pain fumes. And I just kind of smiled and I said, sure, that'd be great. You know, any chance that I could speak to the head instructor? And she looks at me again and says, oh, he doesn't usually speak to new students. And once again, she had this sort of dreamy look in her eyes when she said he, referring to the head instructor. Um, I would say dreamy or rather, because dreamy seemed to be her default mental state. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I told her, I said, well, I'm kind of trying to make a decision here, and I'd really like to speak with them before I make my decision on whether or not I want to join your school. So in other words, what I was saying was, I want to speak with the owner of the circus, not the monkey, you know. So she placed a finger on her temple to look like she was thinking really hard, and this lasted for quite a while. Um, In my opinion, drugs will do that to you. Finally, she snapped back to the conversation and said, Well, I suppose I could see if he'd speak to you. Let me check. So five minutes later, I'm sitting in a chair that obviously had the legs shortened to afford the guy behind the desk, the luxury of looking down at anyone who sat there. And I'm nervously looking around the office while uh, this middle-aged guy with a receding hairline and a ponytail is sitting across the desk from me, just staring a hole in my forehead. I kid you not. He didn't greet me when I walked in. He just stared at me. I could not tell if the guy was pissed off or if he was just meditating in a really angry manner. So I'm trying to make small talk. I'm like, well, nice office you have here. And he's still staring at me, gives me no response. So I keep going and nervously. I'm like, uh, well, uh, I already have a black belt in Shotokan Karate, and I'm a red belt in Taekwondo, which is why I wanted to speak with you, you know, about my previous experience. The guy still keeps staring at me, like just staring a hole in my head. And it's been roughly, I would say, I would estimate in my memory, about three minutes at this time. And the guy has not blinked or moved. He's been sitting there staring at me with his hand steepled, his finger steepled in front of his face. I kid you not, staring at me the whole time. So me being the intrepid seeker of martial arts knowledge that I am, I kept talking. And, you know, frankly, by this time, I think I was starting to show signs of uh, Stockholm syndrome. So I keep talking and I'm like, well, you know, I'd like to continue training in Taekwondo and Hapkido. And I see that's what you teach more or less here. And, um, well... I was kind of hoping that I could keep my rank or at least be able to move a little faster through your curriculum based on my previous experience. Now, understand that I had done my homework on the school and they did the exact same patterns, forms that my previous instructor taught. And he just all of a sudden pipes up and he just says, no. And uh, I'm like, wow, he actually speaks. And I said, well, I already know all the forms you practice. And he says, well, we don't do that here. And he didn't say it like that. He said, we don't do that here. And uh continued staring a hole in my forehead with no elucidation whatsoever, and I swear the guy to this point still had not blinked once. And I said, Well, okay, so I suppose I can deal with that. Can you tell me a bit more about the classes and curriculum you teach? The guy's still boring holes in my forehead <laughs> with this with this stare, and he's still looking really pissed off, you know, basically, you know, looking at me like I'd been stealing kisses from his sister or something and And uh, anyway, so he continued staring at me for about another 30 seconds. It seemed like longer, like a lot longer. And even with my acknowledged social awkwardness and social uh, ineptitude at the time, I knew this was long past getting awkward. So right now we're like well into the realm of dialogue between Mike Myers and Vicky the Park Ranger. And so I married an axe murderer. And if you haven't seen that scene, I recommend you go look it up on YouTube and then All of a sudden, after making me feel extremely uncomfortable for the last five minutes, the instructor starts talking to me like a normal guy. He explains everything about the classes, answered all my questions. I mean, that even freaked me out even more. So guess what? I never enrolled at that school. In fact, you know, I was almost like I tried to avoid driving by it um, for fear that I'd be inducted by their cult members for the next couple of years. It was really just one of the strangest experiences I've ever had in visiting a martial arts school. So, you know, despite that experience, you know, I'm still trying to find places to train. And, and you know, I, I ended up finding a place to teach and, and ended up training on my own. I ended up traveling back um, from the Austin area to Fort Hood to train with uh, my Taekwondo and Hot Keto instructor that I had had in the military and making that long commute several times a week, a couple of times a week. And that worked out OK for me. That instructor was great. He supported me and uh, was an awesome instructor and uh, helped support me, you know, uh, I guess with moral support and also um, technical support and so forth and, and visiting to support our classes with seminars and whatnot. And did that for a couple of years and found a place to teach, obviously, and started my school. But a few years later, I decided that I might want to expand my martial horizons and take up Tai Chi. Now, I later discovered that I have about as much patience for Tai Chi as I have for watching paint dry, which I find to be about as exciting. I'm not knocking Tai Chi. It's just that when it comes to martial arts practice, I have to be moving around. I have a bit of ADD. So anyway, after looking around town for a suitable Tai Chi school, I settled on one that was not too far from me. And uh, this cla- this you know school had daytime classes which was a plus because I was running my own school by that time. So I stopped in during the day and found the instructor and what was apparently one of his senior students working out training. And as I walked in, they paused and walked over to speak with me. And the guy says, can I help you? So I introduced myself with a smile and a handshake. And I said, sure, I teach Taekwondo, but I'd like to start exploring the Chinese martial arts. So can you tell me a little bit about what you teach? And the guy says, well, we teach the Yang style of Tai Chi. Then he looks at his student and rolls his eyes. I kid you not, like right in front of me. So I'm like, you know, what the hell? So I decide to ignore it, and I continue. And I say, I was watching what you were doing just as I was walking in, and I see some similarities in the stances that, uh, you know, I'm kind of familiar with. Do you think that will help me pick up the forms you guys do? So the guy turns and rolls his eyes again when he thinks I'm not paying attention. The student laughs at me behind my back, and I'm starting to figure out that this guy's a jackass. Now, the thing is, this is not the way you treat an instructor who is visiting your school, regardless of his style, you always treat visiting instructors from other styles with respect. So long as they're being polite, at least that's how I was taught. I was taught that by my mother, by my father and by my previous instructors as well. Basic courtesy, courtesy says you don't make fun of a guest. That is the end of discussion. So at any rate, I continued trying to be polite with these guys while they're rolling my eyes at me behind my back and having a private laugh every few seconds. So, you know, Basically, I just ended the conversation, you know, and and, and uh, thanked him for his time. And just like with Mister Unblinking Billy Jack, I never went back to that school again. So, you know, I had that experience and and uh, decided, you know, whatever. I ended up taking Tai Chi with somebody else who was a really nice guy, very talented Chinese martial artist um, who was actually a Swajiao instructor and and experimented a little bit with it and and just didn't really found out I didn't really care for it. I also had another visiting instructor who's a very high ranking Aikido instructor. It was a very good Tai Chi instructor visit my school. I did some Tai Chi with him and finally figured out, you know what? It's just not for me. But, um, I did get bit with the grappling bug. Um, I will admit that the first UFC that came out when Royce Gracie wiped the mat with virtually everybody, um, that he came into contact with that, uh, at first I was not convinced like a lot of traditional martial artists. I thought there was a fix or something going on. And, And uh, it wasn't until I actually went to a Burton Richardson seminar in San Antonio uh, shortly after that. And what was funny was, um, I guess Bert was trying to figure out what everybody knew. So he kind of took us through our paces and said, okay, everybody partner off. And one person on the ground on their back, the other person top mounted position and escape. And I'd never done any of that before. So I'm on my back. I don't even know what the top-mounted position was. And this young 19-year-old kid who I knew had very little training, maybe like a year's worth of training, with a Jeet Kune Do instructor that was local that I'd trained with for a while. And these guys had done some grappling. He gets me in top-mounted position, and I can't get him off. And I'm freaking out because, you know, at this time, I had like, you know, maybe 10, 11 years of experience in the martial arts. You know, I thought I was pretty prepared for anything. And this kid's just, you know, basically just grinning on top of me because I don't know, I don't have a clue how to get him off. So, that showed me that I needed to learn how to do some grappling. So, you know, like a lot of karate guys who saw the light, I started doing jujitsu and, and I kind of still dabble with it. You know, it's not my favorite thing to do, but I do it because I know I need it. Um, I, like I said, I'm still not that good at it and it probably has a lot to do with the fact that I don't actually like doing BJJ. I just do it again because I know that I need to do it. So my pattern is I tend to train for a while, and I kind of get comfortable with being mildly proficient, and then I stop training until I realize I'm out of practice, at which point I start up again. And that's, I know, probably not the best way to gain any lasting skill in a very complex and nuanced martial art. But at any rate, early on in my somewhat checkered career as a BJJ student, I decided to check out a local school. Now, the guy who ran it was a black belt. And this was back in the day when there weren't many BJJ black belts teaching on every corner. And at the time, I had trained with a friend who was a purple belt for a while, but I really wanted to get a little bit more serious about it, even though I, I more or less hated doing grappling. So I stopped by the school and I spoke with the instructor, explaining that I owned a Taekwondo school because I wanted to be up front and be uh, you know very transparent. But I also told him that I was interested in learning Jiu-Jitsu and I had very little experience. So he was very nice. If... He came across as a bit full of himself, but nice nonetheless. So I paid for a month of classes and showed up the next day. As I walked in, I said hi to the instructor, greeted him, put on my gi, and I got on the mat and started, you know, kind of stretching. So there were about 15 or so students already warming up and stretching at that time. And I just simply found some mat space by myself and started quietly doing the same. Now about 15 seconds after I get on the mat, the instructor comes out and he says, Mike, come here for a second. So I jump up and walk over. I'm like, yeah, yes, sir. He says, well, let me see what you got. And then in front of the entire room, this guy proceeded to whip the snot out of me for like the next, I don't know, it seemed like five minutes. It might've been less, might've just been a minute or two minutes, but I will tell you that he probably submitted me like 10 times in a row before he was done. He just went through and just, you know, just basically mopped the mats with me. And it was really an obvious and clear physical message that he was the boss and that he had little, if any respect for me or anything I'd done in the past. And, you know, you know how you pick up the vibe from somebody that they're just, you know, kind of having fun with you. And the guy's just smirking the whole time, you know, the smart ass smirk. And I don't know. It was just uh, came across definitely the wrong way. Now, granted, personally, I know what it's like the first time you glove up in a fighter's gym. I had walked into in the past enough boxing and kickboxing gyms where um, competitors and and pros trained. And had had my nose bloodied enough to know that you keep your head down and you shut up when you're the new guy. But the thing was, this wasn't a fighter's gym. It was just a regular jiu-jitsu school with a bunch of regular people, professional types, who were working out for fun. And, you know, to be honest, I was there to have fun. At least, you know, I was until that first class. Now, the thing was, I just took it in stride and laughed it off. And after he was done with me, I smiled and acknowledged that, you know, he'd wiped the floor with me. And I did actually come back for a few more lessons, if only to show that I wasn't going to be intimidated. But, you know, after I realized that the guy was more or less a jerk to everybody, and I witnessed this with other people and and uh, had other students, you know, uh, former students and so forth share stories with me, basically I left and I never went back, and I never had anything to do with the guy again. So, you know, here's the lesson from these three stories I just shared with you. And the lesson is really simple. And it is that it's not hard to get what the point of all this is, and that is common courtesy should be commonplace in your school, and it should be extended to everyone. In every single one of the above situations, I obviously wasn't there to challenge anyone. I wasn't there to cause trouble. I wasn't at anybody's school to give anybody grief in any way. I made it clear that I was interested in taking classes, and I was upfront about my previous experience, and I showed every bit of politeness I possibly could. But yet in each case, I was treated you know, like someone who was unwelcome. Whether the instructors felt threatened or maybe I rubbed them the wrong way, I've been known to do that um, unintentionally, and you know, I know I, t- I do that sometimes, but you know, I didn't intend to do it, or maybe I just shouldn't have mentioned anything about my previous experience, I, I don't know. But what I do know is, is that I've had probably a dozen black belts from other styles or systems come to train with me at my own schools over the years, and each time I've done my best to treat them with respect and courtesy of students. And you know, in many cases, I learned just as much from them as they did from me. So, look, does it hurt your bottom line if you chase off a student or two every once in a while? Probably not. But you never know when you're losing, or what you're losing, I should say, when you lose a student. You know, that that student, they might have turned out to become a real asset to your school. You just don't know. So the moral of the story is that you need to watch what people with previous experience do when they come into your school before you make a snap judgment and treat them poorly. Not everyone who walks in your studio wants a challenge match and instead chances are good that if someone walks in with previous experience they're just there to learn and besides if an instructor is that threatened by someone who comes to them with previous experience from another style what does that say about them in my opinion not much and after you know having many such experiences I simply honestly won't train with someone who won't show basic courtesy and respect to another person I just don't do it so I'd hazard a guess to say that The people listening to this podcast, you know, those of you listening right now, that you probably wouldn't either. So just think about this. Think about this podcast message the next time someone comes to you from another style or school. And remember to extend them the same courtesies you would give to any brand new student. All right, so that's it for our main message and uh, this main portion of the podcast. So stick around next because I'm going to get to the tip of the week, and I'm going to talk about how I got so much interest in uh, my Crab God classes here in a town where I don't know anybody, where I have no connections, I don't have any established marketing presence whatsoever. I'm going to tell you the secret to that in the tip of the week coming up next.
0: The tip of the week. It's time for our featured martial arts business tip of the week. For more great tips, be sure to visit MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And while you're there, click on the Business Resources tab for links to all Mike's martial arts business books and courses. Now, here's your martial arts business tip of the week.
1: Okay, time for the tip of the week. So, going back to what I was speaking about earlier in the podcast about how I am managing to get so much attention on my program, my new program, in a town where I'm brand new. I don't know anyone. I don't have a marketing platform. I don't have an established website. I don't have any contacts in the community, but yet I've still been able to garner interest in my programs. As a matter of fact, I've been contacted by about a half dozen people so far who want to take my classes, who are interested in taking Krav classes with me. I have already been offered four different locations, actually three, and I'm, I'm negotiating a fourth one, to teach classes and to start teaching part-time. So why all of the interest? Well, there's a couple of principles at work here that I want you to understand, and these are very important principles when you're marketing your martial arts school or part-time martial arts programs if you're just getting started. The first principle is that you have to understand your market and you have to understand what your market wants. If you're trying to shove something down your market's throats, that uh, people in your market, you're trying to shove something down their throats that they don't want, uh, you're not going to get very good results. So you have to look at the market and understand the market's needs, their wants, their desires. And then when you communicate with your market, you have to make sure that you speak to those needs, wants, and desires. Okay, So basically, give the market what it wants. And I know from teaching martial arts for the last over 20 years and being in the martial arts for the last you know somewhat three decades, something like that, I know that when it comes to adult martial arts, adults want basically three things. They want to get in shape, they want to have fun, and they want to learn practical self-defense. Those are three things that most adults want. Most adults who are looking to take martial arts classes or might be interested in taking martial arts classes or self-defense classes are going to fall into one or several of those three categories, one or more than one. So I know when I communicate with my market that I'm talking about things that interest them. I'm talking about fitness, I'm talking about having fun, and I'm talking about learning to protect themselves. So that's the first thing. The second thing that uh, I want you to understand is that I also understand that most people are tuned into what they call WIIFM, which is what's in it for me. And this is an old saying in copywriting circles, uh, people who write marketing copywriting, uh, professional copywriters often talk about that. They often say that When people are um, reading your copy or they're reading your sales content, your sales, uh, you know, uh, verbiage or whatever, that if you talk about what's in it for you, um, you talk about yourself a lot, that you're not going to get a very good result. So you need to find out um, a way, an angle, if you will, to approach your market and give them a reason to be interested in what you're offering. So you have to tell them what's in it for them. And that's what I do. And typically what I try to do is I try to offer something that is of use, that is a benefit to the local community. Um, I try to be of service to the local community because by being of service, you get people's attention. Um, When you're willing to give of yourself and give of yourself freely and not expect anything in return, it's it's a very attractive trait to other people. And I know this is something that's kind of subtle and it's it's not really something that you can put your finger on them and I can't you know just tell you in a nutshell exactly how to do this, but what I am saying is is that when you offer something that is of interest to the local community and you do it unselfishly when you do it and you, you're giving of yourself and giving of your own time and giving of it freely and not expecting anything in return. You're going to make some friends that way and you're going to make friends very quickly. So so that's what I suggest that, that you do. I suggest that you be of service to your local community. Find a way to serve the local community and do it without expecting anything in return. And you're going to make a lot of friends. You're going to make contacts in your community very quickly. Chances are good that you're going to come into contact with some people who are influencers in your community. And those influencers are going to help you market your studio. Um, If you'll think back uh, a couple of podcast episodes from when Alex Changho was on the podcast, he was talking about marketing your school without um, actually doing online marketing. And that was the whole message of the conversation we had. If you haven't heard that podcast, I suggest that you go back and check it out because it was a really good podcast episode. And there was a lot of knowledge drop during that podcast episode that refers directly to this. Now, remember, I do have a website because you guys know I build websites. Um, That's part of my business. Um, I've been doing that professionally for some time. So I do have a website up, but the website's not established. I mean, it's not like it's ranking well in the search engines and it's not like it's getting a lot of traffic. So, you know, those are the two things, the two truisms, the two truths, if you will, that uh, I'm resting all of my uh, marketing efforts on right now. And like I said, I'm really not even trying to convert this interest into leads. I'm just trying to get my name out there right now to establish myself. Now, once I'm established and I actually, you know, people know that I'm not just, you know, some guy, but that I'm somebody who is actually, you know, I guess you could say has some uh, some, some currency in the local community, um, then at that point I can try to leverage this interest and these contacts that I've I've received and leverage them into clients. So understand that as well, that you don't want to just start off uh, attacking people with your marketing message. You know, get known in your community first, get to know some people, get your name out there first, and then when your marketing starts to hit, when you start marketing in earnest, people are going to tend to notice that marketing. And they're going to tend to take um, take notice of it, I, I should say, uh, much more readily than they would if you were just some guy that they didn't know. Okay? So that's it. That's it for the tip of the week. I know that the stuff I talked about maybe is a little bit fuzzy, that it's not really something that's, that's uh, necessarily an immediate step-by-step, actionable plan for you to go out and market yourself, but... I hope that the principles that I just shared with you will help you market yourself more effectively in the future. Okay, so that's it for the tip of the week this week, and I want to thank you for tuning into the podcast once again. uh, We, I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but we surpassed. Uh, 10,000 downloads of the podcast, which was a milestone that I set for myself, and we have surpassed it much more quickly than I thought we would with the podcast. I want to thank you for your ongoing support of this podcast. It means a lot to me. Um, Also, I want to let you know that I am trying to secure an interview with someone who's uh, fairly well known in the martial arts community. Um, also in the entertainment industry, and uh, I'm trying to secure this interview. I'm not going to promise anything, so I don't want to announce any names. But uh, hopefully, I'll be able to secure an interview for the for the martial arts business podcast soon with this individual. Um, so, from what I understand, they're supposed to be putting me in touch with this person's uh, uh, PR rep, so uh, their public relations person. So, hopefully. I'll be able to secure that uh, interview. And I have some other interviews in the works. So I know it's been a couple of weeks since we had an interview. I did a bunch, you know, all at once. And uh, I think it's time to have another interview guest on the podcast. So just to let you know I'm working on that. So once again, thanks for tuning in. And uh, get out there, enroll some students. And I'll be talking to you soon in a future podcast episode.
0: You've been listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with Mike Masson. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this show, leave us a positive review while you're there. Thanks for your support. And tune in again next time for more great martial arts business tips and advice from MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com.